Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my guest for episode 16 is a fantasy football analyst for the NFL Network and NFL.com, my longtime friend and old college roommate, Marcus Grant. Marcus, thanks for coming back on the show. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, kind of small and quiet, but uh, around the house, ate some good food, watched some I was gonna say watch some good football, but eh. I don't know that there was any. I don't know if there was any good <laughs> football on, uh, so I watched some football. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. But otherwise, it was a good day. That's great. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the show, you can subscribe and rate it wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or more. And you can always go to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcast. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter. Reach out to me with all of your sporting questions about USC or anything else, at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Marcus, why don't you let everyone know where they can catch you on social media, TV, the web, whatever you got going. The best place to find a lot of the stuff I do is on Twitter at Marcus G M A R C A S G. But in case you are curious, you can find me on NFL Network on NFL Fantasy Live five days a week. So check your local listings, set your DVRs, all that good stuff. And then the NFL Fantasy Football Show, which was once just a podcast, now is a podcast and streaming show three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It streams at NFL.com and on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash NFL. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The football season is in full swing, and while you might not be at the games this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Do you think the Jets will go 0 16? Are the Bengals or Jaguars winning another game this season? If you feel you know the answers, those are just some of the things you can bet on at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. In the interest of full disclosure, Marcus and I recorded a full episode earlier this week, which I was editing with the plan of having it released on Friday. Of course, things can change quickly when a global pandemic is still ongoing and USC football became the latest program to be a casualty of the COVID-19 coronavirus, which means we're now recording an updated episode on the day I had originally planned for it to be done. Now, some of what we talked about in our previous session isn't affected by the news of the week, so that will still be included, and all it really does is make my editing job a little bit more complicated. However, we obviously have to address what led to USC's game versus Colorado being canceled, 
So we'll begin with the timeline of events. On Monday, a player tested positive after having had three negative tests within 36 hours of travel to Utah for that game and then again on game day. He was reported to be symptomatic but quarantining. So by Wednesday, the team was cleared to practice apparently but another player had tested positive and was in isolation while asymptomatic and five others were quarantining as part of contact tracing. Thursday, there was an early afternoon statement released by USC saying that all activities would be virtual. About five hours later, on Thanksgiving evening, a statement from the Pac-12 came out canceling the game due to USC not having the minimum number of scholarship players available at a specific position group, which is reportedly the offensive line. Colorado had a backup plan in place, and they are now going to end up playing San Diego State instead on Saturday. So, Marcus, first of all, your reaction to this, was it just an inevitability that USC was going to get hit by this, just like so many other schools have been hit by it throughout this year? It seemed that way. I guess in some ways, it's sort of a small miracle that, that they were able to get in the games that they did. This isn't like we saw with the NBA, right? There is no feasible way to play college football in a bubble. It's just impossible. And so you are sort of leaving this up to people kind of living within their communities. You know, throwing the fact that you're talking about 18 to 22-year-olds that you're asking to really take on this extra burden. So it just seemed like it was kind of a matter of time before the Trojans were hit with it. We'll see what happens from here. I think we've reached the point, if we hadn't already gotten there, where you're playing and or watching college football just for the spectacle of it. The idea that this season is going to have any sort of real integrity compared to other seasons, I think that flew out the window a long time ago. So the fact that Colorado can just pivot and suddenly play San Diego State on just a couple of days' notice you're playing games just to play games. And I think that that is the only way in which you can sort of watch these things and enjoy them or what have you. So this felt like it was bound to happen at some point. Let's face it. If there wasn't so much money involved in athletics, we wouldn't be seeing games in a global pandemic. That's the bottom line. There's money that has to get made through TV contracts, and they're trying to put out a product for TV purposes. And we all know it. We're all complicit because we all want to watch football. And so I think you have the exact right take on it is that it's all for our entertainment and we have to understand that this is going to happen. And what are the ramifications, though, for USC season? I would say that the chances for making the college football playoff were already slim for a Pac-12 team. And going forward, I think USC is out of it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Look, I think it was, if you're talking college football playoffs, it was a long shot, I think, for any Pac-12 team to make it there. At this point, play the games because they're on the schedule. You know, I know that there wasn't much wiggle room left in the Pac-12 schedule to begin with because they started later than everybody else. So play out whatever you can. The first priority, obviously, is making sure that everybody is safe and healthy. And once we get back to that point, play them out, enjoy the season. And for the most part, we'll regroup and we'll come back next year. So now the pressing concern would be the next game on the schedule, which is scheduled to be next Friday night against the Washington State Cougars. Obviously, with quarantine periods, I know the 
CDC is talking about maybe knocking it down from the 14 days to 7 to 10 days, but that is as of our recording here on Friday is not official quite yet. And whether that would even be implemented by local jurisdictions here in Los Angeles or the state of California, who the heck knows? So right now, if you've got people quarantining and that game is supposed to be next Friday, wouldn't you say that that game is in jeopardy as well? Very much in jeopardy. Now, let me just preface this by saying I know the science on this is obviously rapidly changing and there are always conflicting reports on things. But, you know, there were some reports that, you know, the CDC was suggesting that the quarantine period could be shortened, that I think after it was like three to five days, there is less chance of infecting other people once you have tested positive. And so that could potentially really shorten the quarantine period. So maybe that's a plus. I guess the other part to this equation is that, you know, you have schools spreading across, what is it, five, six different states now in the Pac-12, and you have jurisdictions that have different regulations and guidelines than in other places. I know that has been an issue, for instance, with the California schools, because the regulations in California have been a lot more strict than in other places. So depending on what the guidance is, depending on what the state of California or Los Angeles County suggests, Maybe they could play, but certainly as things stand right now, trying to play a game, you know, in another seven to 10 days certainly seems risky. Yeah. And if that game is not played, obviously it makes it very unlikely that USC is going to get more than four regular season games in, assuming that they can then play the next week against rival UCLA at the Rose Bowl. And then... In theory, there's one more game after that, whether it's a Pac-12 championship game or just another game. Who the heck knows? Because at that point, let's say Colorado is undefeated and USC is undefeated, but we didn't actually play each other. I don't know how the tiebreaker is going to work there. I don't even (laughs) want to really think about it right now. The Pac-12 needed an undefeated Oregon against an undefeated USC with everyone having played six games going into that Pac-12 title game to even have the faintest glimmer of hope that a Pac-12 team could somehow sneak into the college football playoff. Those hopes are dead now, and we'll see where we go from here. Hopefully, there will be football next week against Washington State, but based on the way things are going, I would not be holding my breath. I would agree with that. I don't know. Maybe in the end, we just all... If all these colleges across the country can all get a hold of a PS5, and we'll just play it out. Maybe, I don't know, aren't they talking about bringing back NCAA football or something? Maybe we can find a way to just play this thing out virtually over the PS5 and we can crown a champion that way. I mean, it's just as valid as, you know, as anything else that's going on, considering all the schedule shuffling we've seen so far. Yeah, maybe that's what the Pac-12 should have done. They should have just put together a big (laughs) gaming tournament to decide who the Pac-12 champion would be this season instead of actually playing games. Kind of like what a lot of sports leagues did during the Shut down, I guess. Yeah. Had racing leagues doing it, NASCAR and IRL and everything doing virtual racing and everything like that. Didn't we have like an NBA 2K league too, where you had like we actual did. NBA players playing? <laughs> we had a little bit of that. We also had the gamers playing in leagues for those. Yeah. Maybe that's what should have just been done here in 2020. But they decided to play and We are seeing the ramifications of playing football during a global pandemic. 
If you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast, you can subscribe and rate it wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. Or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, I am on Twitter. Find and follow me there if you want to reach out to me about the USC Trojans or any other sporting matters at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Marcus, let everyone know where they can find you on social media and what shows that you're on that you want to promote, anything you want to get out there. All right. I would say the best way to find me is on Twitter at Marcus G, M-A-R-C-A-S-G. And that's where you can find a lot of my stuff. But you can see me on NFL Fantasy Live five days a week on NFL Network. Check your local listings, set your DVR, all that good stuff. And then the NFL Fantasy Football Show, which is our podcast slash streaming show, which airs Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So you can download that wherever you download podcasts, or you can find it streaming on NFL.com. I think that covers it. Hi, everybody. Pete Arbogast, the voice of the USC Trojans since 1989. You're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. Since we are recording this show on Thanksgiving week, the week that USC normally would play Notre Dame at the Coliseum in even-numbered years like 2020, I thought that before going into the recap of the Utah game, Marcus, we could reminisce about the first matchup between the Trojans and Fighting Irish that we witnessed in person. As freshmen back in 1994, the not-so-classic 17-17 tie that turned an 11-game losing streak against the Golden Domers into a 12-game winless streak. Yeah. I remember we were so pumped up about this game that when it came time to submit our group's student ticket lottery request at the ticket office, my roommate, our friend Liam Carr, and I were the first in line on the day that you could turn in the request, even though they made clear that handing it in first had no bearing on the seats you would get, which we found out when we got our (laughs) tickets a few weeks later and saw that we had been assigned the metal bleachers in the peristyle end zone that USC called the Sun Deck at the time. And on the night of Saturday, November 26, 1994, it forever became known as the Wind Deck for our group of friends because it was 48 degrees with 20 to 25 mile an hour winds at the 5 p.m. kickoff and only got colder from there. The weather was so bad, we later found out that ABC's broadcast had numerous technical difficulties throughout it. We froze our butts off that Thanksgiving weekend for a very unsatisfactory tie that no one was giving thanks for as we silently trudged out of the Coliseum after the game. Marcus, what are your memories of that game? I remember the night before you and Liam went to turn in the requests. I remember you guys sort of rounding up all of our friends and making sure that you know we all got our little coupons together to get in the lottery. So I remember that because I think what we could have a group of eight, I think, is what they limited us to at a time. But I remember you guys sort of collecting everybody's stuff and getting our group together and then going home for Thanksgiving, like flying back to Northern California on Wednesday night for Thanksgiving with my family for Thursday. And then Friday, and I think, I don't remember if I came back Friday night to Los Angeles or if I came back in Saturday morning. I don't recall, but I do remember saying, well, I'm going to cut the weekend at home short because I got to get back because this is Notre Dame and this is a huge rivalry game. And this is my first one and I want to be there for it. And hopefully we're going to have good seats and whatever. So I remember cutting it short and then us standing there and freezing with the wind blowing in our face for four quarters. Uh. And, as, and as you mentioned, just the 
the numbness of the game ending in a tie. And I don't think that was the last tie game in college football, but it was one of the few because I think the very next year is when they put in the tiebreaker, the overtime system for college football. So we, you know, had the ignominy of watching one of the last tied college football games in history. But I just remember, like you said, it was so unsatisfying. One, because it's a rivalry game. We were hoping to break the long losing streak. And on top of it, for me, it was just like, I just remember like, I could have been at home, like, you know, with my, <laughs> with my family and like my friends from high school and stuff and like hanging out and having a fun weekend. Instead, I hurried back to Los Angeles for this. Yeah, it just it was just a huge, huge letdown pretty much any way you look at it. And the thing is that going into that game, it looked to be SC's best chance to beat Notre Dame in a while. We were ranked 17th in the country. Notre Dame was unranked. They were not having a really good season. They were 6-4 and four coming into the game. We were 7-3, and three, so only one game better. But again, ranked second in the pack, 10 at that time to Oregon, so... I do remember just being really excited because it's SC Notre Dame. I basically disliked Notre Dame my entire life, even before I became a Trojan. So I really wanted to see us beat the Golden Domers badly. And then it turns out to be one of the coldest days ever in Los Angeles. And we just froze our butts off in the Windex. I mean, it was so bitterly cold. And of course, as you remember, our friend Liam would refuse to wear long <laughs> pants our entire freshman year. So he's out there in shorts and just dying in the stands and trying to like, you know, Mr. Connecticut kid and trying to pretend that he's not cold and he really is cold. I mean, I remember very much so that after we got out of the Coliseum, he's like, hey, how about we run back to Trojan Hall? And we're like, dude, you can admit you're cold. I mean, we're not running back, okay? But you can admit you're cold. He wouldn't admit he was cold. But as for the game itself, I really don't remember a ton about that game because we were just so bitterly cold and dying in the stands. Yeah, I don't, I honestly couldn't remember anything. I think I remember, and I don't remember who kicked the game tying field goal. I just know there was a field goal late in that game. Actually, it was, no, it was, we got a touchdown because what happened was (laughs) Israel Ifiani blocked a Notre Dame field goal. Okay. Late with like under seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. The best play that Israel Ifiani ever made as a Trojan. <laughs> he blocked the field goal attempt that would have put Notre Dame up 10. So they were leading 17-10 at the time. And then we took the ball, drove it down. Sean Walters, who's playing with a broken thumb, punched it into the end zone. And then the decision was, I think there was about four minutes or so left in the game. The decision for Coach John Robinson was, do you go for two and try and just win it? Or do you just kick and either get the tie or see if you can maybe get the ball back with a couple minutes left if you can hold Notre Dame. And so he made a decision to kick the extra point, tied it up at 17, and we did end up stopping Notre Dame and got the ball back with, I think, a little over two minutes left, just short of midfield. So it was like, okay, like, let's get 25 yards, and we're in field goal range for Cole Ford, who had a great leg, if you recall. <laughs> I do. Not necessarily mm-hmm. the most accurate at all times, but a great <laughs> leg. So, unfortunately, I mean, the weather was so bad. Rob Johnson, our quarterback, I think he got sacked, and then nothing happened. And it ended up being a horrible tie, and we're walking out amongst USC fans and Notre Dame fans, and everyone's just grumbling silently to themselves, (laughs) like, what did we just go through and witness? And I think by the time we left, it had to be in the 30s, right? 
It was legitimately the cold. I feel like I've been to the coldest USC game ever in LA, I should say. The coldest USC game ever in Los Angeles, which is probably that game. And maybe the hottest USC game ever, which was us against Purdue for Drew Drew Brees' first ever college start. So I feel like I've been at extreme ends of the LA Coliseum weather spectrum. I was broadcasting that game from the roof of the Coliseum press box, that Purdue kickoff classic game. So I was, yeah, that was the other extreme, (laughs) yes. But I, yeah, forever that sun deck became the wind deck for us because we were dying that day. So normally, again, Thanksgiving weekend in an even-numbered year, it'd be the great rivalry between USC and Notre Dame, and this year, Due to the COVID schedule, that is not happening. Instead, I think we got to talk about the game that just happened against Utah up at Salt Lake City. It was Utah's first game of the season after having two games canceled because of their COVID issues. And they looked like a team that hadn't played yet. USC looked like a team that had gotten to play. And it was USC's best performance of the season, winning 33-17. Even so... It still wasn't the greatest of starts. The score was tied at 10 with just under 12 minutes to go in the second quarter after Keaton Slovis fumbled on a sack and Nephi Sewell returned it 23 yards for a Utah touchdown. But then SC outscores Utah 23-7 the rest of the game, including shutting them out in the second half. But Slovis was still kind of struggling a lot of times during the game. He ended up with 264 yards, two TDs, but had that fumble, threw an interception, got sacked three times. And then the running game did maybe just enough. Uh, Vi Malapai got a touchdown run, but just 62 yards on 20 carries. And no marquee step. No one really knew what was going on. But then all of a sudden, he's in street clothes at the start of the game. He did not play due to a pectoral strain. Stephen Carr only got one carry, lost three yards, and apparently he was dealing with injury issues. And so we didn't know any of that going into the game. The freshman Brew McCoy had his best game of his young career. Five catches, 66 yards. For the second straight game, not good on third down. 5 of 13 for USC. I mean, I guess for the third straight game, but for the second straight game, we went 5 of 13. But we did hold Utah to 3 of 11 on their third down conversion, so the defense did pretty well. Only five penalties this time after 11 the game before, but four of them were on the offensive line, three for holding, one false start, and then the other penalty was an unsportsmanlike conduct on Greg Johnson on D. But I got to hand it to the defense. They came up big. Talanoa Hufanga, 10 tackles, had another interception for the second straight game. Raylan Goforth led the team with 12 tackles. Kanai Mauga playing for the injured. Palaie Naoteote had 11 tackles and a sack. Another stellar performance by D-lineman Marlon Tuipilotu with four tackles and a sack, forced fumble that knocked out the starting quarterback for Utah, Cameron Rising at the beginning of the second quarter and may have shifted the game in favor of the Trojans with that. And then his younger brother, the true freshman Tuli Tuipilotu, had his first career sack, interception each for Drake Jackson and Chris Steele. So all in all, Marcus, USC is 3-0. and So you can't really complain about getting the wins. Still not the most impressive performance. Did move up one spot in the rankings to 19 in the AP and 18 in the coaches poll. But for you, based on what you've seen, is this a team that is going to run the table? On paper, this team has a great chance to run the table. But 
just between what we have seen so far, the fact that they have not put together a complete game. You know, the first couple of weeks, the defense was spotty, and they got some really great breaks, some really fortunate breaks late in games to get some wins. And then I think last week, you saw a defense that sort of pulled it together, especially in the second half, and shut Utah down, where the offense was still a little bit uncertain. And, you know, Keaton Slovis still it doesn't quite look like the guy that we saw last year. And just judging on the history of this team over the last few years with Clay Helton as coach, how many weeks have we seen them go into games where they look like they should be the better team, where it looks like they should win and they come out flat, they come out uninspired and they end up catching a loss here. And so I guess just based on what we have seen so far, combined with the history of what we have seen in the past, that leads me to be kind of skeptical. But again, They should be better than Washington State. They should be better than UCLA. So it is certainly possible. And especially with having two at home, one, you know, essentially at home, you know, in the Rose Bowl, they don't have to travel anywhere. Those games are certainly winnable. It's just a matter of history says there's a stumbling block in there somewhere. We just don't know where it is. Right. And really, it's hard to say what can happen in this year, right? 2020 has been such a cluster that we just don't know what might be around the corner for anybody. So who the heck knows in this year? It's hard to say what's going to happen. But I think the key is that USC just has to keep winning. And there were some signs of the defense turning it around. But how much of it is that, you know, Cameron Rising got knocked out of the game and Jake Bentley comes in and just doesn't look good for Utah, right? I mean, it's just one of those things where you don't really know. And that's kind of what's scary, I think, right? I think so. And I think you know, part of it is you can only play who's in front of you, right? And if you're SC, if you're anybody, you don't make apologies for other teams not having had a game in front of them, right? But you do sort of wonder if this game is different, if Utah had played a game or two ahead of this, if they had time to sort of get some game action in. I mean, it's one thing to get out there and be able to practice. It's another thing to be able to do this sort of in real speed with an opponent that is actively trying (laughs) to sort of derail your plans. But again, look, SC has been fortunate in the sense that they have played three games against teams that are playing their first game. So, you know, if you're Clay Helton, you don't make any apologies for that. But it is something to kind of keep in mind and to think about when you see this team play uneven games and pull a few out that maybe it by rights should have lost. But here we are, we're 3-0 and with a chance to still run the table the rest of the season. And then, you know, who knows what happens after that? Yeah, we will see what happens. And of course, as I do every week, I take the Helton Hot Seat Scale poll on Twitter. I run it just to see how people feel about the hot seat under Clay Helton. We know it's a hot seat. Granted, it's 2020. It's a pandemic. Probably nothing's going to happen, but still want to get the pulse of SC on it. So it's ranked by four chili peppers going from the Carolina Reaper at 2.2 million Scoville heat units, which is what they use to measure the spiciness of chili peppers. And then the ghost pepper, which is a little bit over a million Scoville units. The habanero at under 400,000 and cayenne at 50,000 SHU. So the results this week, Carolina Reaper coming in at 12.5% after leading the last two weeks for the first two games. And ghost pepper now at 50%, the leader in the clubhouse after game number three. Habanero picking up 25% of the vote and Cayenne at 12.5% of the vote. So, Marcus, what do you think about the results? And, I mean, if you're believing what 
everyone's saying out there. It's unlikely Clay Helton's going to go anywhere, especially if he keeps winning. But what do you think of his hot seat? I think when people are sort of voting for Ghost Pepper, I think that is them voting with their heart. And I get that. But I think if I'm going to you know, give a logical sort of rationed take on this, I think I'm more in the habanero camp there. I think partially because, one, they're 3-0. and They do have a chance to play for a Pac-12 championship, and that alone sort of keeps him in semi-good stead. And the fact that this is a year unlike any other, I know we've seen a couple of head coach firings already in college football, but I think we're going to see a lot fewer of them this year just because there are so many things about this season that are unprecedented. I don't think schools and athletic departments want to lock themselves into big payouts in a year where revenue is going to be down for everybody. So I think that is going to do a lot to sort of keep Clay Helton safe. So, you know, he's always kind of on a short leash, but I do think that this year it's probably closer to Habanero than it is to Reaper. So I think he's mostly safe this year. Unless, you know, now if things go bad, if they lose their next three, I reserve the right to change my mind. But as of now, that's where I sit. I think you would have to go outstandingly bad even if they lose the next three. I just don't think in the year where you're not making revenues with no fans and I don't think SC is going to be bad enough where you can really fire a guy. It just doesn't make any sense economically. And again, Clay Helton's a really good guy, but obviously results are what matter. And it goes a long way if SC can keep winning for him. So we'll see what happens. And normally I'd be recapping the game predictions during our preview of the upcoming contests, but... Since there's no longer a game for USC this week, here's how I did against Mike Yam on last week's picks for USC Utah in the players that we believe in. Well, neither of us did so hot because I took Marquis Step, who did not play at all, both a pectoral strain, and Mike took Stephen Carr, who got one carry for negative three yards. So we're going to call that one a no-winner for the week. In the game score, I am happy to have been wrong because I went with the upset of Utah winning 23-17. Mike took USC by a similar score, 24-17. And of course, SC won 33-17. So Mike takes that. And in the prop bet portion of the predictions, Nara's no-doubter was because I thought SC was going to lose. I said that SC would commit three turnovers and they came close they committed two luckily there were a ton of utah turnovers that helped out the trojans and mike's yammer yammering said that usc would score less than 14 points in the fourth quarter he didn't think that trojans would need a big comeback and he was right sc only scored three and didn't have to worry about it by shutting out utah in the second half so those are the Predictions from the USC Utah game for the first time this season. I lose as Mike takes the week to nothing on the season so far, though. I am still leading my guests four to two, and that's how we're doing it this season. I am just going up against everyone each week on the predictions and see how I do by the end of the season. And Marcus, all the shows you've been on, and you still haven't been able to go against me in predictions. But I promise you, one of these days, I'll have you on a show where we will actually preview a game, and you'll have a chance to take me on to see whose prognostication skills are sharper. It's going to happen one day, right? I mean, we thought for sure it was going to happen this week. But of course, COVID rears its ugly head. And so uh, I am left out in the cold. Yeah, one day, one of these years, 
everything will line up to make it happen. It will be special when it finally does. It may be 2021, but <laughs> I'm going to have you on. We're going to make predictions. We're going to have a game to see if those predictions come true. I promise you that. <laughs> so if you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast, again, please subscribe and rate the show on all of your favorite podcast directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more, or go to the website Believe.com, which is B-L-E-A-V.com. All the podcast info on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, I am on Twitter. Find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. My guest today Fantasy football analyst for the NFL Network and NFL.com, Marcus Grant. Let everyone know how they can catch up with you, whether it's social media or regular old-fashioned media. The best place for kind of everything, the clearinghouse, if you will, is my Twitter account, Marcus G, M-A-R-C-A-S-G. But if you want to get granular, uh, NFL Fantasy Live five days a week on NFL Network and the NFL Fantasy Football Show three times a week, wherever you get podcasts or streaming at NFL.com or on YouTube. Hey, it's Mike Am of the NFL Network. You're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nora Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. So before I let you go for the end of this podcast, I thought we'd talk about the start of basketball for USC men and women. It began on Wednesday with the women defeating Loyola Marymount 85-55 at Galen Center. And then the men followed a few hours later by hanging on against California Baptist and pulling it out in overtime, 95-87. The women were missing star sophomore Alyssa Peely, but freshman Amaya Oliver out of St. Mary's High School in Stockton, which I believe is the same place that Jackie Jamelos came from. She led the way with 17 points and 16 rebounds in her college debut. And redshirt freshman Madison Campbell out of Clovis West in the Fresno area led all scores with 19 points in her debut as well after she missed last season due to injury. And the women will now move on to Pac-12 play right away. Their next game will be December 4th at Arizona State. The men were led by the highly heralded freshman Evan Mobley, who had 19 points and 9 rebounds in his college debut. His brother, sophomore Isaiah Mobley, had a double-double, 14 points, 10 boards, but went 2 for 9 from the free throw line and 0 for 3 from the three-point line, including the air ball at the end of regulation. Grad transfer Taj Eady from Santa Clara had 18 points, 4 assists, hit 2 of 5 from three-point land, and was a perfect 6 of 6 from the free throw line. However, the team was not good from the free throw line as a team. 16 of 30 overall, 9 of those 14 misses by the Mobley brothers and they allowed 20 of 41 from three by the Lancers of California Baptist. Nine of 15 came from Ty Rowell, who led everyone with 32 points. Their next game is on Saturday night against the Montana Grizzlies, which means that game has probably been played by the time you listen to this. But interesting start for both the men and women, the women getting a big blowout, the men hanging on by the skin of their teeth, and looking a lot like 
the football team, which has kind of been similar to recent years where they just let the opponents hang around and then they find a way to maybe pull it out. And in general, though, the bigger picture here I want to discuss with you is that with COVID still raging all over the country, canceling games, including what we saw with USC football, should basketball be playing all of these non-conference games with teams flying around the country to play in various places? I just don't know if that's the smartest way to go about it. If the goal is to have March Madness take place, because that is where all the money really is made, and you got to have March Madness this season after not having it last season. So is it really wise to worry about doing all this non-conference stuff, which is, again, TV programming, but I would think, hey, let's just have the conference season and then get March Madness going. I think that makes the most sense. It really doesn't make sense to try and shoehorn some of these games in here. you know. And look, I know coaches want to get as much on-court time as they can for their players. They want to try to get in shape and get the teams ready. Because yes, I do believe that we are going to see NC2A tournament this year after what happened last year. I mean, you, know, I mean, you remember this. That was literally at, right at the beginning of this pandemic. I mean, this was right about the time the NBA was shutting things down and we were just kind of figuring out what was going on. And so it really made sense. I mean, there was really almost no choice but to shut it down. But now that we will be about a year into it, I do expect that they will play a tournament. But right now, I mean, we are at a point where you see cases and hospitalizations spiking all across the country, pretty much regardless of state. It doesn't make sense now to have teams and athletes flying all over the place, playing in tournaments that generally aren't going to mean much except for if rankings are a thing that you're hung up on and having those extra games. But, you know, in terms of what it means for the season, it just makes sense to kind of play the conference games and then use that to sort of determine seeding for any sort of postseason tournament. And I go back to what the sports world was sort of talking about even during the summer as we were trying to get baseball going and get the NBA into a bubble. This idea that at the time it seemed like most of these programs and conferences were going to be on hold until the first of the year and then they were going to figure out how to play some sort of shortened amended schedule. And then it seems like a lot of schools kind of reversed course on that Now it just seems kind of foolhardy to try and plow through with the situation getting as bad. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if it actually does go ahead on that scale because we've seen teams decide to scrap their seasons or pull out of tournaments or what have you. Whether or not we get all these games actually in as scheduled remains to be seen. But to me, for my mind, it just makes sense to let's just pull the plug. Let's wait until January. We'll start up with a conference year, understanding it's just not going to look like it normally does because the world doesn't look as it normally does. And let's just figure it out from there once we get to March. Yeah, I just don't understand why we're going to put everyone at risk in traveling on flights all around the country when you really shouldn't be traveling. I mean, that's all we heard, right, with Thanksgiving weekend. Like, don't go flying around the country to travel. And yet, you know, millions of people still do it. So obviously, that is probably part of the reason why is that you just want to be able to do these things and have as normal a season as possible when we know it's not going to be normal. But Already we've seen a lot of cancellations and teams having to move around and scramble because of COVID issues, and we've seen them hit some of the biggest teams in the country, like the number two ranked team in the country, Baylor, has had to scrap their first few games, and you've seen a lot of coaches, including Baylor's Scott Drew, test positive, 
for the coronavirus. And let's face it, it's going to be a mess. <laughs> and we're just going to hopefully get through and not basically collapse before the finish line, which is March Madness. And we'll see. Obviously, you and I, were big sports fans. We enjoy watching everything. And we're going to watch if it's on. But it's just kind of tough to know that it's not really the most important thing in the world. It's just entertainment. And obviously, a lot of people love it and maybe take it too seriously. And so that's why we are where we are. Hopefully, we're going to have March Madness, though, because I think that's a death knell for a lot of schools' budgets if we don't have March Madness. And that's really the biggest reason for everything here. You're exactly right. I mean, everything is sort of pointing to that. I mean, you know, this is a year where a lot of athletic departments are going to take a major hit in terms of their revenue. So, I mean, I get it. I get that's why we're sort of twisting ourselves in knots to try to get these games in. But at some point, just I think sanity, common sense, and the health and safety of the players and coaches involved too. I mean, let's just keep it real. There are a lot of coaches that fall into high-risk groups because of age and what have you. So hopefully at some point, sanity takes over. But Look, you and I have watched college sports enough to know that a lot of times that's not really the case. And my feelings about the NCAA are very clear. I don't trust them to do the right thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) So when they actually do the right thing, like last year when they canceled everything and got ahead of stuff, I was like, oh, okay, score one for them. But I think I'm pretty accurate when I say that they're the most corrupt organization in American sports. I will say that about them... I will paraphrase Winston Churchill that the NC2A will do the right thing after they have exhausted all other possibilities. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs) So again, Marcus, thanks for coming back on to re-record an episode. And again, it's Thanksgiving weekend. I give thanks to you, man. I appreciate it, man. I, I appreciate the invitation. It's been great. You know, our friendship has endured for, wow, more than a quarter of a century which is wild. (laughs) But uh, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, one of these days, one of these years, we'll actually get to uh, make some predictions against one another. Yeah, just like in the old days, back in our old (laughs) KSER days. So for my guest, Marcus Grant, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 16 of the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with the show for every team in LA and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I like to end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.